Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, our study today continues on the topic of brave conversations. We'll be focusing on domestic violence as we look deeper into 2 Samuel chapter 13. Let's dig in. So as we have been looking at this topic of domestic violence and domestic abuse, we know that it is a complicated topic. And unfortunately, the church has not historically done a great job at helping equip all of us to deal with this, how to handle it, how to see it, how to recognize it, and the importance of it. Because domestic violence and domestic abuse doesn't just affect us physically, but it also affects us emotionally, mentally, and spiritually as well. One of the things that we recognize statistically is that this is a very huge problem. One in three women have experienced some form of abuse from a male intimate partner. That is the case whether or not you are here in the United States, whether or not you are in the United Kingdom. This stat, this statistic is um, found to be true no matter where you are in the world. One third of women suffer through some point of domestic violence or domestic abuse at some point in their life. The other thing that we want to say, though, and we made this clear yesterday, is that it is not only a problem that is located in the female gender. Oftentimes men are the focus and the recipient of domestic violence or domestic abuse. And so while traditionally women and perhaps even statistically they're in the majority of those who receive or on the receiving end of, of abuse, it's not always that way. And so we want to make sure that we don't just assume that this is a gender-specific problem or a gender-specific issue. But one-third, that means that means all of us need to take a look at this. And, and many people don't even know that they are victims of domestic violence or domestic abuse. It's it's a little like that uh, old story about, you know, how do you boil a frog? Well, you, you turn up the heat in the water slowly. Oftentimes that is what happens in abuse situations. One of the things that we want to pay attention to as we come to today's text in 2 Samuel is this, is that violence and abuse really and truly knows no boundaries. It doesn't care about gender, as we've said. It doesn't care about race or class or location or social status. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be a specific ethnicity or gender identity. You don't have to be in a specific socioeconomic class, privileged, unprivileged, no matter who you are or where you are. You can suffer through abuse or you can be an abuser. We all need to pay attention to this topic. And this is something that I learned, uh, and thankfully so, whenever I had little children so that I could pay attention to this. I was unaware of this uh, until I had kids and someone educated me is that 
Domestic abuse is often committed by family or by close friends. Uh, that's true in the cases of child abuse, but that's also true in cases of abuse of peers, adults as well. And that oftentimes occurs in spaces that are believed to be safe. And so abuse most often happens by those people who are trusted and who are closest to us and oftentimes occurs in places where we believe that we are safe or where others believe that we are safe. So when we come to the story today in Samuel, we're jumping into the middle of a very complicated family. The family is King David's family. King David, whom you may remember, took the throne essentially on behalf of King Saul. King David, the shepherd boy, killed Goliath, but also the same King David who had Uriah, one of his battlemen, murdered in order to abuse, essentially, rape Bathsheba. Now, fast forward, King David is older, has family, has sons, has daughters. Uh, the Bible says, though, even he had committed such an atrocity with Bathsheba was still a man after God's own heart, that there was forgiveness, that David had essentially moved on and received forgiveness and, and done reconciliation in a lot of ways for, the, for those things. But the effects of those sins remained and the brokenness we see repeats itself through the generations in his own family. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Now, David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar, whom would have been David's daughter. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill, lovesick for his half-sister. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought that he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shimea. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the king of Assad look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Bad advice. Be careful whom you allow to be close to you. Go back to bed. Pretend you're ill. When your father, King David, comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him that you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lays down, pretends to be sick. And when the king, David, comes to see him, Amnon asks him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. This bothers me. This bothers me because I really honestly feel as though David should have been in tune with what was going on here. Uh, now, I know that we're like several thousand years removed from this story, but people are people. Pigs are pigs. Dogs are dogs. 
Um, David should have known what was going on here. I know that lots of people go through life eyes wide shut on things, and it shouldn't be the case. There are lots of people who go through life and just don't see the clues, won't let themselves see the clues of domestic violence, of abuse, of potential rape or, or usury of people. David should not have been one of those people because of David's story. David knows what it's like to play games in order to get what you want. David knows what it's like in order to trick others because something is amiss sexually. And so whenever Amnon lays down, pretends to be sick, David comes to see him and he asks, let my sister and specifies Tamar come and cook my favorite dish in this line as I watch. And then I can eat it from her own hands. I just, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I believe that David should have been in tune with what is going on here. Some radar, some flag should have been going off in David's head. And maybe it was. Because as we're going to see the story roll out, and, and we don't include all of it in the reading, but if you keep reading through this, as we see roll out, we see that David at this point has a very complex, complicated relationship with his kids, in some sense with God as well. He's a um, he's not a simple character in the story, especially at this point. Um, so either David didn't know and should have known, he was shut off, he was cold, he was distanced, or he did know, or there was something in the back of his head that said that something about this doesn't seem right, and then he doesn't do anything about it. Either way, there is a fail-safe here that should have happened, a red flag, somebody should have thrown on the field, and it doesn't happen here. And because of it, because it doesn't happen here, the story actually goes tragically wrong and off the rails. David agrees, sends Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrives at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she bakes his favorite dish for him. But when she set out the serving tray before him, he refuses to eat. Everyone, get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So all of the servants leave. This is another bridge that should not have been crossed, in my opinion. These are David's servants. The fact that he is sending the servants out, he's living off of his father's money, he's living off of his father's kingdom. These servants would have been David's servants. They would have known the stories they likely, too, would have known because they were on the inside of the family, where the bodies lie in the family. Likely, there was clues that Amnon was an idiot, was <laughs> a useless piece of trash, in my opinion. Uh, they would have known, I am certain, that there was some sort of a lust or a relationship that could have been on the fringe of burning out of control between these two, or at least from Amnon's perspective. Uh, 
I really believe in reading through this story that this detail is put in here as a red flag to us that another fail safe failed. That those who were surrounding them and closest to them should have known, and even worse, maybe did know, and didn't do anything to stop it. Didn't involve themselves in the situation for fear, for lack of caring, for maybe thinking it was deserved of somebody. I don't know. But what I do know is, is that there were more than enough people who should have been and were close enough to the situation to recognize that abuse was not just a potential, but was probable here in this situation. And they do nothing. This is a story that is repeated in so many domestic violence and abuse situations over the years. It continues. And we have to be a part of stopping that cycle. If we're in the position of King David, we have to stand up. If we're in the position of these servants, we have to stand up. No matter what harm may come to us, no matter what price we may have to pay, that price is not greater than doing all that we can to stop the violence, to end the abuse of someone who may be on the cusp or may be being actively abused. So Amnon says to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him, but as she was feeding him, and here it is. He grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, do not be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in all of Israel. Please just speak to the king about it. He'll let you marry me. We don't know whether or not there was an attraction or a desire here on her part or if she is just doing anything that she can in this situation to try to get herself out of the moment into a place of safety. Either way, it doesn't matter. Why? Because she doesn't have a voice in this situation anymore. She is completely out of control. Amnon is in control. And the fail-safes, the people who should have been there to protect, to prevent, weren't there. Should she have put herself in that situation? Growing up, that would have been what I heard a lot. Well, she should have put herself, she should have been alone with a man. None of this would have happened. She probably did something, wore something, communicated something. Maybe maybe they had a flirtatious relationship. Maybe, maybe they crossed some lines that weren't this line, but other physical lines in the past. And um, no, no, it's never okay. It's not okay. It's never okay. It's never justified. Even if she had done one or all of those things, that does not make what he did okay. No. And we got to stop saying those things. We, we have got to stop blaming the victim. We've got to stop. If she did those things, should she have? No. It doesn't make 
the abuse okay. She didn't deserve it. Hamnon doesn't listen to her. Runs in the family. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. The Bible calls it rape. Because that's what it was. She didn't ask for it. She didn't deserve it. Then suddenly, suddenly his love turns to hate. He hated her even more than he had loved her. I might say he hates himself at this point, but he directs that at her and that is violence. Even that hate is abuse. Get out of her here. He snarls at her. And I'll let you read the rest of the story. Um, and our reading for today even ends before the story is over. So feel free for extra credit or for the rest of the story to continue on to see what happens. Uh, it is a brutal story. Domestic abuse within a dating, cohabitating, or marriage relationship this is what it is. This is what domestic abuse is. It's a pattern of one person using power and control over the other. And abuse and violence in a domestic situation doesn't always have to be marriage partners. Oftentimes, domestic violence or abuse takes place as this one. It's at the brother and sister level here. And it's not always rape. It's not always sex. It can include physical, but can also include emotional, psychological, sexual, financial, spiritual, or even digital and cyber abuse. Why do so many people who are victims of abuse not see or understand that they are in a domestic abuse, domestic violence situation? Because they have such a narrow idea of what it means to be a victim of domestic violence and abuse. We have to learn what it is in order to help ourselves and especially others out of it. That is our call. That is our responsibility. The church, people of faith, cannot be silent. We cannot stand on the sidelines and throw our hands up and say, not my problem. Humanity as followers of Christ is our problem. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called through the Beatitudes, through the love one another passages, to involve ourselves in the brokenness of the world on behalf of Christ in order to bring repair to those things. We have to recognize the signs that are there when we see them. So what are the traits of an abuser? We talked about these yesterday, but I want to continue to put these up in detail. The traits of an abuser, we need to recognize these and have our radar up. Someone who has low self-esteem who believes that male superiority is, is a real thing. Someone who has a tendency to blame other people. Someone who struggles with pathological jealousy. Someone who is possessive of their partner's time. Has a dual personality. One way when they're in one situation, but maybe when they're alone or in other situations, they have another personality. Someone who reacts very severely and badly to stress. Someone who uses sex as an aggressive act and someone who refuses to believe or understand that their actions may have negative consequences. Now, 
an abuser doesn't necessarily have to have all of these things. They may have one or two or, or pieces of these things. And because somebody maybe perhaps has one or two of these things at some level doesn't necessarily mean that they are a perpetrator of domestic violence or domestic abuse just because someone has low self-esteem or just because somebody doesn't handle stress well doesn't necessarily mean they're abuser but it does mean that we should be on our guard and that we should be paying attention and so where do we go from here well i think where we go from here is we take on responsibility for our brothers and sisters that we always keep our ears in tune with the world around us so that we recognize the Tamars and the Amnons of the world whenever we see them. And as we've done every day this week, I don't want to close before I say, if you believe or you have questions to whether or not you may have suffered or may be suffering from domestic violence or domestic abuse, I want you to get help and answers to those questions. It may well be that you talk with somebody and you find out, you know what? It's not the case. That's not the situation. But what if it is? And what if this is your chance or your moment? Reach out to somebody whom you trust. Get help. This Bible study on Brave Conversations is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. And when you get over to christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on domestic violence. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well over at www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young. And this is the Christ Table Podcast.